0: The Paranet Podcast, a Dresden Files book club. Hello there from the Paranet Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Lunn and Rob Davis. We have an absolutely awesome show for you guys today. We're going to be talking about Dresden Files merch, what we'd like to see in the future. Um, and then we're going to be diving into part two of Grave Peril. Uh, chapters five through eight. Um, so yeah, uh, we'll jump straight into para networking, uh, getting right in there within the first minute. That's unlike us. Um, <laughs> so today, our our para networking, we're, we're doing this uh, like we did a few episodes back, kind of a, a what if sort of situation. Um, so my question today. Uh, for you, Rob, and and also for myself, <laughs> um, is if we could create one piece of Dresden Files merch and then own it, what would you want to see become a thing? Oh,
1: I mean, my mind goes immediately to two things, uh, which is Max uh, Steak Sandwich or Max Pale Ale. Okay, pale ale. that's cool. I think the pale ale is probably more of a keeper because then, I mean, if you drink it or not, you still have the bottle that you can put on display, so I'm, mm. I'm one of those guys who likes, you know, I'll finish I'll finish a drink and I'll keep the bottle if it's one I don't have and then Kerry will throw it out. <laughs> um,
0: yeah. Uh, I can see like the kind of Harry Potter butterbeer kind yeah, of
1: I mean, that's... Actual. Kind kind of the vein I'm going with. A lot a lot of bands do it at the moment, like uh Deftones and Mastodon have their own ale. Uh Metallica I think have their own whiskey. I'm sure. Really? Yeah, which is quite interesting because I think James Hetfield, their singer guitarist, was um I think it was earlier this year went to rehab for you know, alcoholism. <laughs> That's I mean, unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I know he's had trouble with it back in the past, but it, it seemed a bit weird anyway when they were like, Metallica Whiskey. But you know, fans love that shit. I mean, I haven't bought any yet, but I love that shit. So,
0: I know for a long time in in the UK there has been uh,
1: Trooper Ale. Um, yes, that's a really good example. It's It will be the ale that will be the most available one at my wedding. So I hope you like Trooper.
0: Uh, I'm all up for Trooper. Awesome. Can, is your first dance going to be the Trooper?
1: <laughs> if I get my way, yes. But the answer will probably be no, unless <laughs> we can find like an orchestral string arrangement of it, which I might try and find. <laughs> that would be incredible. Um
0: <laughs> there there is precedence as well for for luxury steaks i know that i think it was in the the 2000s there was a series of
1: donald trump steaks fuck off really um, really i mean what that's, what that's... made them what made them uh, stand out uh to the internet <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, yeah you can go and watch the donald trump steaks commercial uh, the world's greatest stakes introduced in May 2007, discontinued in July 2007. <laughs> Fair <laughs>
1: enough.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, uh, they were sho- They were sold at um, Sharp Image in America, which is like a, a geek store, I guess, and QVC, yeah. which we do have in England. Um. Mm-hmm it's it's something uh um i'm just having a very very quick look um all i can see is a quote from someone who reviewed the steak saying the cow should be ashamed (laughs) poor cow which i don't know (laughs) poor cow yeah um but yeah, the, there doesn't seem to be anything particularly outstanding about them. Uh, they were just extremely expensive. Uh, they came in four packages ranging from $199 up to $999. Interesting. Um, and they were mocked on Saturday Night Live, uh, which <laughs> I can understand why. Yeah. <laughs> Um yeah, so there you go. That's that's a thing that happened and the image I, I fully uh, encourage our listeners to go and look it up. It's just Trump like leering over these stakes.
1: <laughs> I, I don't even know what to say, I just didn't expect that at all.
0: <laughs> it's, yeah. I, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it only lasted for three months. So I mean,
1: I feel that says uh, it all unless that was planned.
0: Who knows? But um, I'm I'm sure Mac steak sandwiches would last for a lot longer.
1: Yeah, I I mean I, I've always put down the sandwich thing too. It's a really good. I think it's a good idea because I every time they're mentioned, I want one. But I feel like that would be better if you had like a Dresden themed restaurant for whatever reason
0: i I would love a, a max restaurant
1: or, or somewhere like the Hobbit in Southampton now that they' changed to be just kind of generic fantasy i would if like if I was there I would definitely have something called like max ale and steak sandwich yeah but
0: it would be great if you could only get the steak sandwich by ordering the ale. Yeah, like they first
1: as, they came as like a meal deal type thing.
0: Yeah. Um yeah, very cool, very cool. Uh so I have um I have one really really solid idea and one much less solid idea. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> um, so so my really solid idea is I would be fully up for a Dresden duster. That you could get, yeah, um, with like some Dresdeny style like inlays uh, uh in the leather and stuff, um I'm sure you could make it from from fake leather, yeah, um, but as we're we like I have noticed a lot more and and I think it's part of the pandemic that we're we're still going through uh that uh everyone's just kind of reverting a bit to their younger selves, but I've noticed a lot more nineties aesthetic. Okay. Creeping up, like a lot more skaters and stuff. Um I, I recently went up to Newcastle and they they had a lot of people on skateboards which I just haven't seen since I was like five. Um, <laughs> and and I feel like if that's coming in then surely the Matrix look's gonna be coming in at some point. Um, and why not capitalize on that with the uh, with the duster?
1: Yeah, I mean i I mean I bought hundreds <laughs> and files, so I would. I mean, I fit that market. So
0: yeah, um, and then my other idea is a Bob the Skull Amazon Alexa speaker.
1: Oh, that'd be pretty cool.
0: Um, with like a, a mod that allows you, that, like makes it sound like Bob, um, <laughs> and just having it like demand erotic novels in return for the weather <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, I can, <laughs> I can get behind that. And <laughs> have like the the eyes glow and stuff whenever you like talk to it and things would be would be kind of cool. Yeah. Um, so that's that's. I Think those are my two. I think a duster would be very fun. Um, it doesn't have to be anything like super special, but it'd be nice to have like some kind of like arcane stuff like, um, in the leather, like imprinted onto it. Yeah. Um, uh, and then, yeah, the uh, the bob the skull. Um, and I suppose we we have to mention that it would be really, really fun to have a particular. Jim Butcher branded Can of Coke Limited
1: Edition. That would also be pretty cool. I don't know I know like a different packaging.
0: Yeah, I feel like if they did like a Dresden movie or something, that that might be a time that you'd get a tie in like that.
1: Yeah, I can get behind that.
0: Um, so that that would be cool. Um so yeah, so that's I think that's that's everything on that front.
1: Yeah, I'm trying um, to figure if there's anything else I'd do, but I think my my, my heart is just set on the uh, steak sandwich or the ale. Yeah, um, I guess
0: it would be really... I, I like the Dresden Files role-playing game, so maybe this wouldn't be great, but... Uh, recently there's been a lot of like D and D crossovers with various other properties like Stranger Things and Rick and Morty.
1: Yeah, and
0: I could see them doing like a a D and D Dresden's crossover where you played as like because the the Stranger Things one is you're playing the game that they're playing in Stranger Things, so you're playing the characters that like Mike and oh god, I can't even remember the characters' names now. God, okay. Dustin, that's one of them.
1: yeah, Dustin. Uh... Uh-huh. Oh, shit. Um no it's gone <laughs> I can't remember. Anyway, you you play
0: as them um playing their game and you and you have to defeat the demogorgon in, in the D&D game. Uh so you could play you could do the same thing but you're like Billy Georgia Dresden um playing their like RPG together. Um and that that would be kind of cool, maybe like they could put out a couple of like wizard spells or something for D and D, like Fuego and yeah. stuff. Fuego. Right. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's the sort of merch that we'd like to see. But uh, as we said in the last couple of ones, it'd be really cool to hear what you guys think as well. Like what sort of Dresden files merch would you love to see if you've only read up to where we're at with the book club, then um, it'd be really cool to know stuff from that era if you're right up to date with Peace Talks waiting for Battlegrounds, like the rest of uh, Battleground, like the rest of us, um, then uh, anything from later in the Dresden Files, I'm I'm sure there's some really creative ideas out there with like Winter Court or Knights of the Cross or uh, a motorbike based on Murphy's motorbike or um, whatever. Um, We'd love to hear what, what you guys kind of uh, are thinking and and what sort of thing that you you'd love to see from like Dresden Files merch in the future? Um. So that takes us over to our Dresden Files book club, and I'll be honest, Rob, I am hyped for this episode of the Dresden Files book club. Oh man! Oh, it's it's a big man. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we've got some great first appearances to talk about, some great character descriptions, just loads of stuff to dive into. Uh, so, uh, as a normal, uh, I'll do the quick recap of last time on the JSON Files, and then uh, Rob will take us through the new chapters, and then we'll do a bit of discussion about some of the key bits and stuff like that, um, and what we like, what we didn't, all that sort of stuff. So... Uh, last time in Grave Peril, uh, we jumped into a, uh, a magic battle culmination of uh, of detective work um, already in progress as Harry and his friend Michael Carpenter, Mike the Knight, speed across Chicago uh, to save some children in cook county hospital from angela hagglethorne a murderous ghost who killed her own child and husband uh around 100 years ago in chicago we also find out that something is kind of winding up all the ghosts in the city um and that michael and harry are essentially non-stop putting out uh uh, spectre emergencies around the city. Um Dresden and Michael um uh confront Angela uh Angela Hagglethorne uh and uh they think that they defeated her and then all the children in the hospital stop breathing. Uh Michael and Harry know they must go into the nether Nether, but Harry is concerned that his godmother might track them down and try to kill him. Um before they can destroy Angela Hagelthorn. Chapter three was a flashback to early that day, uh, as Harry and Susan were kind of bantering over the ghost cases, uh, being a bit flirtatious, lots of fun. Uh, Harry gives Susan some info, and she almost says that she loves him, but stops herself. He almost says that he loves her, but stops himself. Um, And then a woman comes to Harry's office and begs for his help. Uh, The woman is a practitioner called Lydia, And she claims to be afflicted with Cassandra's tears, which allow her to see into the future in these kind of uh, almost epileptic fits. Uh, She claims to have seen uh, a group of spirits kill her uh, and that she needs Harry's help to escape them. Harry doubts her story as Cassandra's tears is often used to con people into doing stuff in the magical community. Uh, People claim that they've had these visions and then uh, use them to kind of influence people and make them do something. Um, but he gives her the address of St. Mary of the Angels and Father Forthill, who is a character that appears a lot more later in the series, who's uh, a kind of, um, where Dresden is more of a, an aggressive practitioner of magic, Father Forthill is a defensive practitioner of faith who protects people, makes sure that they're, they're not attacked uh, from, and keeps them within the church safe. Um, he also gives uh, Lydia his charm bracelet to protect her leaving himself with less protection. Uh, The end of the chapter is uh, Harry and Michael running into each other and brings us to the start of the first chapter. Uh, So it's a nice little neat bow. Uh, And that really takes us up to uh, chapter five. Uh, So, Rob, do you want to take
1: it away? Uh, Yeah, so we we kick off, obviously, where we left off in the previous chapter with Harry and Michael going into the never-never. And I believe this is our first like time seeing the Never Never. It's been, I think it was mentioned in the previous book with um, uh the I uh, can't remember a name now. Only just read it. Um, the chick who was. Oh my god! Why can't I remember Full Moon? The the, the chick uh, who was um, like an ally. Oh man, the Luke Guru's girlfriend. The-
0: yeah, I I know who you mean. It's compl- the one who I kept saying was Zoe Saldana, uh,
1: yeah. but I- Terra West. Terror that West. was it. Thank you. I kept. Oh man, that was that was weird. <laughs> yeah, like I, that that was mentioned because I think it was implied she originated from there or was a creature of the Never Never. So it's, I guess I don't know. I don't know if it's something fans anticipated at the time when they found out we were finally going to see it. But um, in any mm. case. Um Harry and Michael travel into the never never to face off against Angela Hagglethorne who has a more physical appearance in the never never, which means that yeah. she, you know she's she if she puts up a fight it's gonna be more of a challenge i guess um in any case, it's a close battle between the three um Harry is grappled by Angela Michael saves him last minute using the sword I can never say it Amorakius. Is that how we pronounce it? I think
0: that's, that's as close as we're going to get. I would yeah. say Marcus. <laughs>
1: Let's go with that then. Um, and while this, while this like, uh, showdown is going on, Harry hears the sound of hellhounds, which is kind of a signal of Harry's godmother closing in. Um, And the chapter ends with them coming face-to-face with with his godmother, uh, Lee, or Lianchi, as she is probably best known. Um, mm-hmm. and I will go into it, I imagine in the summary, but, uh, it's just such a good description of her first appearance and how she kind of has a, I think it's described as like a menacing purr. We'll have to double check when she's just like, hello, God child. And I kind of hear it as that, yeah. as like Helen Mirren, almost, I guess. Um, Ooh, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Like. I I don't I don't know why I associate all of the villainous women in this with British actresses but there you go. <laughs> um and with that we roll into chapter 6 with uh Shi claiming that you know Harry, Harry and his mother both made deals with Harry that with her that um makes Harry like her property I guess. Um and there's more on that as we go along Harry claims that he will go with her but then it chucks a load of that ghost dust to her, which I, I know Michael previously asked the ingredients. I remember there being like nutmeg and thyme or something stupid for some reason. But it contains a key ingredient that hurts beings from the nether, that ingredient being iron. Um, Yeah, so yeah. he throws he this ghost dust to her and like fucking legs it. Um. And yeah, they, they managed to get out of the never-never, narrowly avoiding Lianchi's grasp. Um, The kids are saved, but Michael is still upset that Harry won by lying. Um, And we'll come back to this as well with a bit more info on Michael, but if I remember right, because of the deal that Harry made with Lianchi, she is in the right, and because of that I don't think Michael could intervene because of the powers of Amaracius and all that.
0: Yeah, because he can only act on the side of right. And yeah. if if the deal was made, then she is in the right. So she, yeah. he could only act to enforce her will or not act at all.
1: Yeah, and I think that's something we get a bit more detail on as, as we go into the story as well. But um, either way, ha- Michael isn't a fan that Harry kind of lied his way out of this one. Called a John Constantine, I guess you could say. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, either way, they beat Angela Hagglehorn they they saved the children they they did what they came to do, um at which point they are arrested by the police, and <laughs> michael says uh don't, don't worry, let's just just let me do the talking, which, let's be honest, is probably for the best, at least one of them's a responsible <laughs> adult um i love I love the transition between yeah. chapter six <laughs> and chapter seven. And, and in, in in the following chapter, chapter seven, uh, they're both they're both in jailed, but they are released on bail by Charity Carpenter, Michael's wife, and Susan Rodriguez. And I absolutely love Charity Carpenter. She's, I've I, actually we'll get back into that when we uh, discuss the character a bit more. But um, yeah, she she kind of bites Dresden's head off like verbal, gives him a verbal lashing is probably a good way of describing it uh you know every, why is why is it every time my husband's with you he comes home caked in blood and he's kind of like doing a bit of a Bart Simpson of just like oh, i didn't mean to um
0: it's so great cuz he tries like five different times to start a new approach against her yeah like ranting at her. Uh, ranting at him,
1: and each time she just shuts him down immediately. Yeah, I I love it. Um, and yeah, Harry. We get a bit of development with uh Susan and Harry. Harry tells Susan that he loves her, which is quite interesting in the way he delivers it. Because I think they're having a bit of a not argument. I'm going to say argument for lack of a better word. Um, it's kind it's kind of like
0: the. Yeah, it's like the tension before an argument, I
1: guess. Yeah, yeah, because the whole thing is that she she's pissed that they were meant to have a date that evening, but instead she's bailing him out of jail. So I think, you know, understandable. I'd be annoyed as well, I suppose. Um, Plus he stood up the night before, I think. Yeah, it's not looking good, I'm afraid. Um, yeah. We end that chapter with Harry and Susan arriving back at um, Harry's apartment, only to be greeted by two vampires of the Red Court. Um That's my vampire noise. I <laughs> um <laughs> But uh yeah we have a, a bit of um a bit of a verbal match between Harry and these two vampires. Uh they reveal themselves to be I can't remember their last names, but Kyle and Kelly. Yeah,
0: like I didn't put them in. Uh, put the names in the notes just because. Yeah. They they are so inconsequential to me. <laughs> I I
1: want to say Kyle and Kelly Hamilton. I could be wrong on that, but keep going. I'll, I'll yeah, see. Yeah. Uh, I'll see if That's you fine. Um, and they they aren't necessarily there to cause trouble, but vampires being vampires, they you know they're going to cause trouble, but they're there to invite Harry to a party at. Bianca's, who is quite a high up gal in the um, Red Court. She made an appearance in Stormfront, if you remember. <clears throat> uh, mm. Yeah, she's right. She's rising to a different rank within the Red Court, and it's like a party celebration thing. Um, in three you days,
0: are, you are correct,
1: Kyle and, Kyle and Kelly Hamilton. Bitchin'. Very good memory. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah, the party is three days from the present at midnight um and harry is you know scheduled in to be the emissary of the white court so he's representing the entire white court at this party um he also has a plus one um so yeah guess who he's gonna take uh the vampires leave and susan starts pestering harry to you know can can i can i be a plus one because i'm a reporter and this is some this is some good shit um and Harry states quite clearly he doesn't plan on going because I think just because there's a bit of beef between him and Bian- Bianca after Stormfront. Um, yeah, so like it's
0: it's like it's her big night and there's going to be a lot of her allies and none of his. Yeah. So he's he's pretty sure that someone will fuck him over if he goes there.
1: Yeah, it's I guess it's a risk that kind of a Game of Thrones situation I suppose yeah it's just easier just to, to say no yeah Um, and yeah and then the chapter ends this week with Harry and Susan kind of making up for the little argument they had earlier and kind of get jiggy with it I suppose <laughs> <laughs>
0: nah, 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 nah.
1: yeah and that's uh MG. finish up this week so Quite a few. I mean, compared to the last book, I feel we've got a lot more going already. Especially this early on, we've got the the introduction of the Never Never, and then and Harry and Michael going into that. We get the introduction of Lianchi and Charity Carpenter, both very big players going forward. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think yeah.
0: <laughs> so. It's not so much that the last book was slow. Yeah. I think it's more just that this from Grave Peril onwards really just things are so fast in the Tristan files. Yeah. Um uh, that full moon feels slow by comparison would be my my takeaway from from having reread it and analysing it. Um,
1: it's, um quite interesting that I think outside of this, we have we've discussed in the past how as the books go on, it kind of downplays the whole noir detective story stuff in favour of the fantasy elements, and I think I've always had trouble kind of pinpointing where that happens, and I think this might be it.
0: Yeah, well, as soon as they go across into the Never-Nether, you are smack-banging fantasy land, and very far away from uh, noir detective world.
1: I guess this is kind of where... um... The series starts to find its footing, I suppose. Yeah, how did you how did you
0: find the Never Never
1: in this? I enjoyed it. I mean, the the way it was described in this chap in the in the chapters here was um there was mention of them being surrounded by like everything's being made of wood and all that kind of shit, and then it's on fire. And I think once it was on fire, it reminded me of uh, the interpretation of hell from uh, the film Constantine with Keanu Reeves.
0: Okay yeah I can get behind that. I was thinking um the the like psychic house from insidious.
1: Oh shit yeah which is weirdly called the Never if I remember right. Yeah.
0: Um I thought that it, it felt a bit like that. It also I, I know that you're not you don't really do Warhammer but it feels a bit like the warp in Warhammer, which is a, like a magical alternate reality kind of place. But basically what I love about it is the whole like emotions and psychic memories and stuff in, uh, are made real here. Yeah. Uh, so there's a really cool uh, bit. Uh, so this part of Never Looked Like Chicago at the end of the 19th century. No, strike that. This was the ghost's demeson. It looked like a mishmash of Angela Hagelthorn's memories of Chicago at the end of her life. Edison's bulbs were mounted in some streetlights, while others burned with flickered gas flames. All of them cast hazy spheres of light, doing little to actually illuminate their surroundings. The buildings stood at slightly odd angles to one another, with parts of them seamlessly missing. Everything street sidewalks, buildings was made of wood. And what I think is really interesting about that is that it's kind of like... um, if you're trying to draw something from memory, I guess. Yeah. uh, Like you'll only remember the, if, if I had to draw like New York from memory, for instance, um, there's certain buildings like the empire state building that obviously I'm going to get, but the, the in between like interstitial buildings, unless you've worked there or you've got a friend who lived in one of them or something like that, you have no reason to really remember them more than just being big buildings. Yeah. Um, And I kind of get that that sort of feel. Um, A bit uh, Inception-y as well, I suppose.
1: Yeah, I can definitely go with all of those ideas. Yeah. um, The the wooden
0: thing... uh, So that's actually about the history of Chicago. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: Chicago in the 1900s, early 1900s, was very uh was made of wood a lot because it was on the lake shores of lake michigan yeah
1: um
0: and they actually i this is completely uh well not completely unrelated to dresden files but a little unrelated to dresden files this is just something else that once i got into dresden files i got really interested in chicago itself and i've never been there but uh i'd I'd love to um they basically had the city on a, on a, a set of boardwalks and they had the boardwalks on a set of um, like jacks that you have like a car on, and essentially what they would do is that they they could they lifted the city uh, as the shore was eroded um unfortunately, all of that was made out of wood um and so many of the uh so there was a, a great fire in the 19th century um because there were lots of street lamps that were lit with gas flames and all that. Um, and the whole place was just, it was just a tinderbox. Um, and so it, it all just went up and large parts of Chicago were burnt off. And then they, they rebuilt with more concrete and, and less flammable materials, I suppose. But another really interesting part of it is that there a lot of older buildings in Chicago, and I think they talk about Murphy's house being like this, um, often have it so that their what is now their cellar was once the ground floor, but because of erosion and the lakes coming in and stuff, the houses have sunk so much that what they did instead was they just made the ground floor the new cellar, bricked up the uh, the front door and then created a new front door on the second floor. Yeah. Um, which is just mad and bizarre and crazy and I really love it. Um, and it talks a lot more about, about this in the Judson Files. There's points where he goes to the the under city of Chicago and this is, there are actually places in Chicago that you can go to um that still remain of of what was underneath the the kind of boardwalk um setup. Sorry, that was just a side that's, thing, but yeah, I found that, it really exciting.
1: Yeah, I mean that's pretty interesting as well. I feel like <laughs> I feel like I can't top that in terms of like fun facts and knowledge, but Yeah. <laughs>
0: I am also ready for someone to come in and just be like, you got it all wrong! I've got it
1: all my life and you're wrong, sir. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, this this is entirely uh, my limited knowledge from a couple of articles and Wikipedia entries that I read when I was getting into, into it all. Fair play. Um, yeah. Yeah. But the, the Great Chicago Fire is definitely a thing um, and that happened in 1871 and it lasted for three days and killed about 300 people. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, uh, The Nether Nether is uh, extremely, extremely cool uh, and I love um, how... So, it's kind of like you've jumped into someone's world, like Angela Hagglethorne's, but their world is not just self-contained in its own little bubble. It's actually part of a much larger landscape, uh, and that's where the, the hellhounds and the Lanonshi come into it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: i you... Did you find it weird that they were called hellhounds? A little bit. I don't remember... Like... I I could have sworn they were just referred to as hounds. Yeah, because hell, hell is
0: more prevalent in later books. But
1: I'm I'm wondering if it was just for the line uh, where he's like, "Oh shit, hell hounds," and Michael's like, "You know, I don't like it when you swear." Oh shit, heck hounds. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm, I'm wondering if it was just to use that line.
0: If but it was fine.
1: I mean, I was listening to the audiobook, so I assume you were as well. I might check the um, uh, the physical copy and just check up on that. So I could have sworn they're referred to as hounds later on.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, also, like, the thing to remember is this is quite early in Harry's career, I suppose. Yeah. And so... maybe he's just calling them hellhounds. Yeah, that's always a possibility. Because I I don't think uh, the Lenoci refers to them as such.
1: No, I think I'm not think sure that she, she ref- refers to them at all. I'm sure that she might just refer to them as her hounds. I'm not I'm not yeah too sure. But we'll we'll probably find out in a few chapters. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh,
0: so her her description and and the Lenoci in general, I think is a great character. Um, I think we've talked about this in the past, but of course if you're going to have a wizard and you've got the, the wizarding world and all that set up, of course, he's going to have a fairy godmother. And of course she's going to be a problem. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I find the she extremely cool. Um, cause she's from her perspective, even here we can see that she is, um, very much, she believes she's in the right. She's made deals uh, that have ended up with her having Dresden in her debt. Um, and she she's just collecting her debt, and that's how it all works out. But she doesn't really mean him harm in the traditional sense. From her point of view, she just wants him as part of her court, I guess.
1: Yeah, that's how I interpret that.
0: Um, but yeah, the, the way that it, it describes her it is really interesting. So, um, a very tall, slender, and humanly beautiful woman stepped out of the smoke. Reddish hair curled down past her lips in a riotous cascade, complementing her flawless skin, high cheekbones, and lush, full bodied blood red lips. Her face was ageless, and her golden eyes had vertical slits instead of pupils, like a cat. Her gown was a flowing affair of deep green. And I think straight away like this is a really striking image um i get a bit of like a poison ivy feel yeah <clears throat> um yeah i and uh i think like uh like you said uh there's there's a, there's a lot of british actresses that would fit the bill perfectly <laughs> um but you get, you get the feeling that she is uh intimidating, I mean just like the vertical slits as pupils just remind you that she's inhuman it yeah. also uses the word "inhumanly to be beautiful um, and I think this is the first major like fey creature we really see uh, I think so apart- it's,
1: it's quite interesting as well because I think in this book especially I think she acts as one of the uh, like secondary antagonists and I yeah. think because of that being her first appearance and what we find out about the fae in this book um i think going forward in the series whenever she's appeared in later books you're just kind of like i don't know i i it just always leaves me on edge because i'm like I, i don't know if you're about to like fuck harry over or not yeah like you can never really tell if they're I don't know if they have his interests in mind in the slightest, or the, if they're just manipulating him further. Yeah, definitely,
0: definitely, um, and that's that's what makes a lot of the fairies. But uh, the non she um, a really interesting character because more than any other uh, fae, she has a great to stake in Harry's preservation. So she there's more reason for her to be on the good end, but there's also Harry has screwed her over in the past and is screwing her over in this chapter. Yeah. Um and uh she has more reason therefore to be to feel betrayed and vengeful. Um so I think I think that is really it is really interesting. Um and some of the bits that she talks about, the uh does it remind you of Times Gone by or oh, it reminds me of times gone by doesn't it remind you um that's a really nice nod to something that we we get in much much later books when we yeah. learn about Harry's kind of origin story um and that the first time that they they met chronologically Harry was on the run from something um and and it's just a lovely little tie in here um, which I really appreciated, like on second reading, I guess. Um, and then, yeah. Uh, so the next, next little bit I wanted to to pick out, like, like you, we basically picked out in the the recap was the uh, that Michael can't intervene. Yeah. Um, and it, and there's a great bit here. And there's a great bit when the vampires come into it uh, towards the end of this section, where the rules of the magical world are kind of put into play more. Um, and I feel like this is something that we didn't really get in the first two books so much. We got a little bit of the laws of magic with the Shadow
1: Man. Um, but it was more the rules, now- have- like, the, like the basic <laughs> rules, I guess, if you became a wizard and they gave you like a welcome pamphlet, I think the laws of magic that we already knew about would be like, <laughs> in the opening page yeah whereas here we get some more like the fine detail yeah you'd have they'd, they'd tell you to buy a book for that and this would all be in yeah. the the, the big ass textbook
0: Um, and and so we learn about how the knights of the cross and the fair and the fae uh essentially can interact in so much as uh the knights of the cross uh respect the phase um uh, dealings i suppose yeah uh so michael is not able to intervene if uh, dresden is owed to the Lanonshi, uh which he uh explains is correct and true um so that that was really interesting the other one that was really interesting was with the vampires uh harry checks and the the male vampire um Kyle was it uh yeah Kyle uh he was acting as an emcy emeracy emeracy i think
1: yeah Emmercy.
0: god <laughs> uh an emeracy for um for bianca, and that meant that he could not attack dresden or or do anything aggressive to him, but his sister wasn't. So
1: she was getting all Larian up in their grill.
0: Yeah. Uh and because she wasn't acting in that that legal status, she was then therefore able to attack Dresden if she wanted to. So Dresden is like very wary of her uh during the their encounter and, and essentially manipulates the encounter to make sure that she is as far away as possible from him and Susan, while he deals with Kyle, uh, in a legal stance, uh, and we get some stuff about like uh, that the White Court must be uh, must have representatives, the sort of punishments that um, could happen if someone broke the these dealings and stuff. What would happen uh, if? Dresden didn't go to the the ball. Is Essentially, the white court would, ac- would accuse him of being rude, but they wouldn't take it much further because they know that the vampires and the wizards don't have the greatest relationship with one another. Um, there's also a bit of explanation that if Dresden went to Bianca's party, even though no one could straight out murder him, if there was something that could be misconstrued as an accident, such as... Um, Dresden being served something that was poisonous because the vampires didn't understand how mortals digestion worked or uh, there being a shootout and Dresden being the only mortal there, whereas the vampires can take those gunshots and Dresden dying. That would just be seen as a, as a, uh, an accident and oh oh dear, we won't let it happen again. Kind of deal. Um, Which I, I find these sort of interactions really fascinating and it's something that we get, so much more of as we go further into the books yeah. and it gets built on and built on. and by the time you're at like peace talks where we're, where we're at now you build up this whole kind of uh lore knowledge of the magical and arcane world and uh there's so much about like um being a guest and uh the ability to like call upon someone's honor call upon their word and those things having like a physical power to them, yeah uh it's really it's it's an extremely cool series, and this is one of those extremely cool parts of it oh i I would say I absolutely
1: agree <laughs> uh, it's also nice to um, hear talk about it, just saying I could listen to the, like just the show of just you talking. <laughs> <laughs> It's
0: yeah. I mean, I, I like, I hope our listeners feel the same way. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's uh, that's kind of that aspect. I think we we pretty much covered that. Um, so charity carpenter was our next point. Yeah. Um, and so I I. I much like you absolutely love Charity Carpenter. Um and personally, uh I've I've always pictured um my my partner Amy as being like Charity Carpenter. Yeah. Um part of it because I love Michael, but uh and and want to be Michael Carpenter, but also because they they are very similar and I, and um yeah, uh just that like that stubbornness. But like good stubbornness <laughs> is is very much like
1: Amy. <laughs> what, what, what I was going to say when I was going through the chapter summary was um, and it's something only really really kind of made the connection with this time round on reading it is um, when when we when we get Murphy's reintroduction here, the Harry and Murphy friendship is much more stable, I guess. So she's not you know, arresting him and doubting and judging him all the time, whereas. I feel, I feel, charity very much takes that kind of role for this book. She uh, really takes that role up until about book ten. Yeah, so, so, something like that. Yeah, and and um, even then, just, even then, when shit happens, it's Michael still being like, "We can't tell my wife." <laughs> <laughs> um, mostly.
0: Michael is a very is a very open dude uh and will do anything for anyone. And this is Dresden talks about this um later on uh in the chapter where we first have her introduced. So uh she bails out Michael and she uh, charity bails out Michael and she gets Michael's sword. Um and the main reason that she is angry with Dresden is that because whenever dresden is is with Michael it tends to be when things get really intense and Michael ends up getting hurt, and obviously she loves Michael, so she wants to protect michael yeah um uh, but there is, there is a great bit where she says uh it's something uh uh oh yeah, um I'll have you know. That if you ever get my michael into trouble so deep that he can't come home to his family i will make you sorry for it um and it talks about how she shakes with emotion as she says this um yeah. and it just absolutely like floors dresden um which is is very awesome and they they talk about uh dresden talks about like how he knows that they're such a great couple for each other uh michael has his quiet strengths uh and unfailing reliability and Charity has a blazing passion and unshakable loyalty to her husband, and they like, I guess, Michael needs a Charity there so that he can be very altruistic and open, but Charity stops him from being taken advantage of, yeah, and like people doing like mis- mistreating such a a righteous man. Um, and they—they're just a beautiful couple. I—I I love them throughout the entire series. They—they they always have each other's back, and and Dresden really like has a grudging respect for her even here. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's yeah, and and there's a great bit here where Dresden talks about how like marriage is something that he can't get his head around. <laughs> um he says he feels like he sometimes feels like he's someone from a Dickens novel standing outside in the cold and staring in at Christmas dinner. Um which is a is a bit dramatic and emo, but um it it does get to get to the point pretty well that like um he's obviously been a he's been an island for a long time and maybe Susan's helping him break that down a little bit. But I guess he always sees Charity and Michael is that like that ideal, uh, I suppose, and it's something that uh comes up again and again in the series, especially once Dresden's daughter uh gets involved, Maggie, yeah. uh, because she connects to the carpenters and stuff. We'll, we'll get to that much, much later. Uh, also, uh, Charity is pregnant here, uh, which I
1: completely forgot. Yeah, same. <laughs> getting all these flashbacks from the book now and I'm just like, I can't wait until we get to this moment so we can talk about it
0: Yeah um, and in later books her the the child that she's having right now is um, like f- about 10 years old I guess as
1: a piece yeah, talks I think something like that, yeah
0: which is, yeah, crazy pretty freaky um uh so it it was really weird to see like a much younger charity in michael yeah i guess um so the other thing that also gets picked up much as an aside is susan asks uh susan says they're they're a beautiful couple aren't they about michael and charity and dresden says they got off to a good start Twitch student says oh how's that and Dresden just comes out with he rescued her from a fire breathing dragon yeah I was going to mention
1: that I I, I feel like it goes into more detail in a different book but oh wait no I've just remembered something about later in this book forget everything (laughs) (laughs) we'll circle back to it (laughs) I'm going to make note of that because yeah, I'll I'll bring it up later, much later. Okay. <laughs> right, I, I've, just written, I've just written dragons on a post-it note, and I hope I know what it means next time I see it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, they're they're super cool, and uh, Charity is a badass, and only becomes more so as we get through the books as it's revealed that there is a lot more to her
1: uh, and her story uh, her background and story like which we find out in later books is probably probably one of my favorite backstories for any of the side characters because it feels like i mean i won't go in, i won't go into it for spoilers sake but it feels like everyone else kind of f- fell into magic by accident whereas kind of teetering around the edge of spoilers here it turns out her family were more involved in magic if I remember right yeah so kind of one
0: of the things that I really like about Charity's backstory over many of the others that we get like a lot of characters if you imagine like the the vampires being one one society I guess a lot of the vampire characters their whole backstory takes place within vampire society a lot of the Knights of the Cross, a lot of that, their backstories take place between the Knights of the Cross and the Denarians and that society. The really cool thing about Charity Carpenter is that she actually is interconnected into a couple of different magical societies with yeah. her backstory. Um, and there aren't that many characters like that, or if they are, they kind of play out across those stories play out with Dresden being involved because obviously he encounters all of these different societies and stuff so he introduces people to one society or the other or whatever um whereas uh yeah charity obviously like we say had some connection to the magic uh, to the wizarding world uh and some connection to the world of knights dragons and denarians um which is really interesting and and without Dresden even being slightly involved
1: yeah it's oh it's so good <laughs>
0: Um. Yeah, so I th- I think that pretty much covers charity. Um. So uh, Harry and Susan, uh, we get a lot more Harry and Susan in this.
1: Yeah. They um, feel, what I was um, going to mention about it is they feel like they're in a relationship, whereas in the last book, I know it feels like you, you know how do I word it when you're dating someone but you're not. Actually, in a relationship as such, <laughs> do you yeah. know what I'm trying to say? It feels like that's where they were at in the previous book. Like they were still in that <laughs> kind of really, really, they've they've gone out really a, really years, a couple of dates, yeah. Whereas yeah. this, it feels like they've been they've been together a, a while now. It's a, it's an actual relationship, especially if you know they're dropping the L word here and there. Yeah.
0: Um, it's, it's a great, um, I, so I guess the last book was a great moment in their relationship because it was them moving across from, uh, just, just, I guess, dating or like just companionship to more serious dating as Harry opened himself up emotionally as well as physically yeah. Uh, in full moon, um, and then we start to see another shift here, where it's like the next step, where it's like not just emotional opening opening up, but like they're not just meeting up to date; they're meeting up to just be together because they want their each other's company. Yeah, I guess is the way that I I would put it. Um, and that that's definitely a stage I think you reach in a long term relationship. Definitely. Um, yeah, I, I, I really, I really love how Jim does this. He doesn't just outright say it. Um, he's really got a good handle on how people talk in relationships at these different milestones.
1: Yeah. Um, and banter as well.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like there's still... There's still an air of they don't a hundred percent know each other. Um or they don't know each other on, on in like a mundane sense. Like there's a lot of that Susan's asking Harry about his world. Yeah. And Susan is still thinking about her career. Um over necessarily trusting Harry. But um uh, they do they do wanna be around each other, they do wanna like share these things with each other. Um and it also has that like that new romance. Um there's a lot of flirtiness, there's a lot of the physical side of it as well still going on. Um which obviously is like uh there's that honeymoon period and I think they're very much in that here.
1: Definitely. I suppose um, and it's it's one of the talking points as well but um uh, the 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 more sexual side of dresden like they get they get down they get jiggy with it at the end of uh, chapter 8 na, 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 na. <laughs> yeah um and it, i i i forgot their relationship was like this cuz when i look back and remember it their relationship is just how it was in book 2 and then yeah we we get to book 5 and there's that sex scene between them and that which just felt really weird and out of place
0: mhm
1: but whereas i know i i guess at the time when i first read this i was more focused on the action i was just sat there being like 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 the little kid and princess bride being like ugh, is this a kissing book when <laughs> 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 what i wanted was like fuego and all this other shit just blowing up so mhm I don't know if it's something I overlooked previously, but how? I mean, how did you find it? I guess in um, these chapters. <laughs> so
0: maybe this is a reflection on me growing up. Yeah. Um, but when I was when I first read the Dresden Files, I was nineteen twenty-ish. Yeah. Um, and. I was like I was I was very on board for all of the sex scenes and stuff going on. Uh and I was like, man, this guy has got it made. He's got this like beautiful <laughs> girlfriend and he's got the magic and everything's working out for him. Uh and uh and yeah, these like this is really this is cool. Uh and and it was part of the the power fantasy of Dresden Files. Yeah. Is that obviously he's got he's got like the beautiful girl and everything. Reading it now, I feel it comes off as a bit immature. Yeah. Um, in so much as, or a bit gratuitous, I guess.
1: Um, it was interesting because at the same time, I feel how it is at the end of chapter eight when they start getting it on is, um, I know I, I feel that's kind of what's the word I'm looking for. It it's kind of real in that. I guess that's how I kind of was with um, <laughs> girlfriends and shit in the past I, I, when when yeah. when it's still early on in the relationship. Yeah. So I didn't I didn't find it as weird as some of the romance we get a few books down. I definitely agree with that. I think it just
0: for me it goes. I think uh, there there is a point, and I, I kind of don't want to get into reading too much of this because it does get quite hmm, uh, yeah. a bit much, uh, but uh, th- th- there was a point where it, it just slipped a little too close to, like, um y porny kind yeah. of areas um it, it's such a hard line to walk because you want to show that they're in that point um and i think the way that these novels were originally sold was very much like it's all sex and violence yeah um but uh, like it's i mean it's it's going for the whole and game of thrones always had a bit of this where it's like yeah it's like harry potter but they bang yeah uh, <laughs> Uh um I think Game of Thrones it used to be it's fantasy that fucks. And it's just okay. like cool, if that's what you need from the fantasy book, I feel like maybe you're not that into the fantasy. Yeah. I mean,
1: <laughs> completely unrelated, but I mean I mean both of us did create a writing at university. Did you ever at any point attempt writing like a love scene or a sex scene like that? And be honest, because I will be honest and say that I did, and there was a lot of uh, I used the word "throbbing" a lot, and I wish that I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah i <laughs>
0: I got a first for so, um, first with an S, not with a th. Um... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, so... No. Um. When I was. Uh, <laughs> God, uh, this this is a weird thing. This makes interesting radio. Um, so this, I got really annoyed at our creative writing course yeah. because I felt like it wasn't very representative of the current bestsellers, I guess, because uh, our creative writing course was very like high-minded. Um, and very academic, and very much like, we covered very little.
1: Yeah, more literary fiction, I guess. More literary stuff.
0: Yeah, like writing for writers, instead of writing for people. Yeah. Um, And so, I resolved that I was going to write something that I felt could sell, instead of something that I felt was, like, literary, Um, towards the end of my my degree and with that in mind i did a kind of ghost in the shell-esque story about a um a robotic prostitute (laughs) um it's strange and i'm not i will never ever ever share it with anyone
1: I was going to say, um, we hung out a lot in third year, and I have no recollection of this being a thing. No,
0: I kept this very secret. <laughs> yeah, I
1: mean, if it makes you feel any better, I, I didn't go through with like the love-sex scene that I wrote into a story. I, I think I felt so weird about having to submit it that I think I just removed it and just wrote in a sentence being like, they kissed, and left it at that. <laughs>
0: so so I I submitted mine and I got not just a first but like an, uh like another 10 points beyond a first oh, nice. for those who might not be aware of a university uh, the English university system a first is the highest grade you can get it's like an A star i guess
1: yeah, i think uh, it's anything above 70% isn't it
0: yeah and i think it's got like 86 jesus fuck uh, and the the lecturer then asked me if I would consider, uh, broadening this out into a full novel, uh, cause she believed that it was, uh, very, um, like marketable. Yeah. Um, uh, because, because it was basically playing into at the time stuff like 50 shades of gray was really big and it was very much playing into those sort of tropes, but also had a bit of sci-fi and fantasy aspects um we've gone so far off topic but that's fine yeah, but, uh,
1: yeah
0: uh and yeah basically i was like uh like 20 year old guy uh and was just like yeah um oh, maybe oh jeez <laughs> Oh, jeez <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if i can <laughs> uh and i just decided to kind of Put it away and never really think about it. Fair enough. But maybe, maybe, maybe 2020 is the year that uh, cyberpunk erotica
1: comes back into vogue. I mean, and maybe I'm not gonna do it. If, if I've learned anything in the last two three years, it's that you're guaranteed to make money off like weird ass erotica novels. So it's worth <laughs> it. even if you self publish it, you're guaranteed to make something from it from the sounds of it
0: uh shout out to Lindsay ellis's most recent video about the alfred omega verse that opened <laughs> my eyes to some of the weirdest erotica out there um that's a whole thing go go watch it uh, i'll probably put a, i'll put a link in the in the description for you guys Fair um I'm, I'm gonna
1: steer this back to dresden yes do it, do it, do it! Oh, we're getting into weird. Basically. Yeah, we'll get lost in a weird erotica rabbit hole, and we don't want that. Um, Red Court vampires, Kyle yes. and Kelly Hamilton. Would this is the first time we've had a Red Court appearance since uh, the opening chapters of Book One? Uh, yeah, um, I, I I enjoyed it. I felt they came across as a bit more of a threat, especially when. Um, I think Dresden's like, oh yeah, don't let them dribble on you or lick you or something like that.
0: I think it's lick. If he said dribble, I'd have just lost it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: know, I know it had something to do with their saliva. So, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. <Yeah>. But um, <laughs> no, I I definitely. I mean, we we only got like a brief, more brief than we did with uh, Bianca's first appearance in Stormfront. But they definitely come across as more intimidating. And I think that's because you've got one of them acting as like an emissary who's there just to be like, oh, you're invited to a party, and the other one's being a bit of a creeper. Yeah. But also, like, going Um, back to it, with, with Bianca's appearance in the first book, they didn't really come across as that much of a threat then. I think she turned into the weird, ginormous bat blob thing. But, I mean, that's... yeah. It wasn't really but, an attack as such,
0: and Dresden was like super prepared for her coming
1: as well. Yeah. Like, yeah, he had
0: like sunlight ready at hand. Yeah, um, I think what one of the things I really love about this is that there's very little setup on what a vampire
1: is. Yeah, that's uh, that's something I like because it's always, I know they, they, I mean, obviously we get like all the different vampire courts introduced, but it feels like with Red Court especially, they're not fully fleshed out until I think the end of this book. Yeah.
0: And I really like something that's great about the series from this point onwards is that there are bits of the universe that have already been explained that Jim can just kind of take those toys out of the box and throw them in now instead of having to like craft them. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, we, we we there's still always something new to learn. Um, there's not much that we get in this particular encounter apart from the the legalities of it. Um, but it's very. Uh, I, I yeah I enjoy it. <laughs> um.
1: <laughs> there's not really um, much to say on them at this point. No. And that's okay. Yeah, I'm fine with
0: That's, that. Uh, there's going to there's gonna be a lot more to say on vampires as we go forwards. Oh, definitely. Um, so I think that actually covers everything, but I'm going to throw in a quick bonus round because I searched Charity Carpenter. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: And the one of the things that came up that really caught my eye was Molly Weasley from Harry Potter versus Charity Carpenter.
1: That would be interesting
0: um uh, and it's like a reddit post <laughs> and i just want to share that they've put together a series of different trials to compare the two yeah uh so round 1 is one day of prep battle to incapacitation round 2 is a villain of your choice has kidnapped and incapacitated all children from both families which mother can most effectively rescue the children without outside help Round three was a villain of your choice has kidnapped and incapacitated all children from both families, which mother can most effectively rescue the children with some help from their friends and allies. Mm. Round four was create a, team of capable, uh, create a team capable of stopping Molly and Charity from rescuing their children. Assume Molly and Charity are working together for this round. Number five was who makes the best quilt.
1: Ooh.
0: And number six was who would win in a pie baking contest.
1: Ooh.
0: I know, right? That there's some great fan fiction to be made there. Definitely. I think Definitely. that's too. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw my hat into the ring right now. Yes. I think Charity Carpenter makes a better quilt, but I think Molly Weasley makes a better pie. Oh, I would have gone the other
1: way around. I think. Really. <laughs> Molly Weasley is probably one of my like favorite characters outside of the main like cast of Harry Potter. That's fair.
0: They they are kind of similar-ish archetypes, but I I feel like Charity just has more to her.
1: Yeah, definitely. We get I guess we get more from Charity as well. Hmm. That's it's
0: interesting though. Yeah. Um, and some of some of these rounds about. Like what would they do for their family, kind of thing. We we get a lot of that with charity in later books. Yeah, um, which is very cool. Um, yeah. So that
1: I think that pretty much covers everything for this week. Is there anything else that you want to throw in? No, I think I think we've covered everything and then a bit more as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think this might actually be our longest episode, Rob. Yeah. I think you might be correct. I'll have a look as well. Um
0: wow, okay. So uh this may be our longest episode. Uh I think that's a good thing. I hope it is. Uh, <laughs> we'll um, yeah, I think it might just have been the erotic fiction rant. Um
1: <laughs> anyway, uh do you wanna do you wanna take us out? Uh yeah. Um as always, thank you for the support. We're just about to cross over 1,800 downloads, which is, again, fantastic stuff. Um, as usual, share us on Spotify, review us on iTunes, uh, follow us on social media. We are on Twitter and Instagram as the Paranet Podcast, or maybe just Paranet Podcast, I forget which. Uh, details will be in the description. Um, uh-huh. And yeah, as always... Uh, crack open a can of coke. You've been listening to the Paranet Podcast with your hosts me, Rob Davis, and me, Patrick Lund. Thank you very much, and we will see you next week, where we will be covering chapters 9, 10, 11, and 12 of Grave Peril. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.